Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Well, it's, this was not the best day to wear glasses. Tears and glasses don't go well together, I found out. <laughs> wow. I'm just humbled by what God's doing in, in this body. I'm just glad, you know, I'm an old school guy, so the, the song came to mind. Uh, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Old, old song. And uh, I'm just so, I, I feel lucky. Have you ever felt that way? I just feel lucky to be here. I just feel just honored to be a part of this family. You guys are my family. I, I see you that way. I thank God for you. And when I'm here, I'm lifted up. I mean, today, I, I tell you, I just, I felt like called to a higher level with all of you. And uh, I just, I share with the first service, I just really believe God's calling us to, to a higher level, to do something that's countercultural to what we're living in and, and what maybe possibly the mainstream stream church is, is operating in, is that we're a multicultural church who honors every generation, every culture, every gifting. I don't see a lot of churches that are like that because everyone is important. Everyone is called of God. He loves each and every one of us. And if you look out there, our culture is a, in a giant mess. Yes, it is. And so we need to be able to touch every aspect of the culture with the presence and the glory of God. And so if we're not like that, if we don't have people who represent that, how are we going to penetrate that? Come on, brother. So I think God is preparing us in that. And I think he's preparing us in a way where he's calling us beforehand I shared this with the first service. It's kind of like a child, a parent and a child. When you're teaching your children, for example, a hot stove, you know, you, can't, you tell your child, this is a hot stove. You kind of, you know, go through the thing. If you touch this, you will get burned. This will hurt. Ouch. You know, and you, however best you can do that, you describe that. And sometimes the children hear that and they comprehend and like understand, okay, yeah. Thank you. I see that. I'm, I'm going to avoid that situation. Then sometimes you get the child who just has to touch that hot stove to, to, and get that burned uh, and learn the lesson the hard way. You know, but, but yeah, and I tell you, how many, I've learned the hard way a lot of times in my life. And I always told my children, uh, most of the time during a punishment, I said, you know, there's an easy way and there's a hard way to learn things. If you had picked the easy way, we wouldn't be sitting right here uh, in, in the bedroom with the belt talking about this conversation. <laughs> but you chose to learn the hard way. Here's the hard way to learn that lesson. Uh, and, and, and that's not always pleasant for a parent. But I think what I think God's doing with us as a group is sharing us the way to go, how he wants us to move into the culture before persecution and trial and tribulation force us to do it. Either way, we're going to have to preach and going to have to stand as a representation. Wouldn't it be better just to do it now and to go lead the charge than to be you know, in chains having to do it? Maybe we'll be there too, but hey, there's an opportunity right now for us to respond to what the Lord's doing, and that's my prayer. And so we're going to continue the, our series on honor, as Pastor has so wonderfully been speaking about the past several weeks, and we're going to talk about how Jesus honored the least of these. And uh, so just as a quick review, we're going to uh, define honor. So what is honor? Give a quick definition. It's like holding something in high regard, 
putting something up on a pedestal, of giving something an important value, right? Or it's holding to that highest standard, honor. Giving something that value with great respect, regard. Mm. High standard of conduct. That's, that's the honor. So the pastor's been talking about how we do that generationally, how we do that with our giftings, how we do that in, in the church. And today we're going to say, how do we do that honoring the least of these? So honor, when we put it in that context, it kind of reminds me of the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. So that is like, you know, it's patient and kind. It's not self-seeking. It's not boastful or resentful or prideful. But love rejoices with the truth, rejoices in righteousness, rejoices when right and truth prevail, always believes the best of everyone. Doesn't that sound like honoring? It's almost exactly the same thing. You could, you could interchange that, honor and love. Walking in love is the same thing as walking in honor. I see that as the same thing. And so walking in love, that's the, the chief thing of life. Jesus put it in Mark 12, 29, verses, Mark 12, verses 29 through 31. He summed it up this way. He said, the most important, the most important commandment is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It sums up all the law and the prophets. It sums up our Christian walk. Loving God, honoring him, right? Honoring ourselves, and honoring our neighbors, who are each and every one of us, the whole world. Jesus uh, defined the term neighbor as everyone around you. So it's not just someone who's close to you. It's everyone who you come in contact with is your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's honor. That, that's the, if you can do that, that's the greater way. It's greater than all the gifts of the Spirit, greater than anything, is loving one another. In fact, isn't that supposed to be our trademark? Isn't it supposed to be that our calling card? Yeah. Our, our self-evident, when someone looks at the body of Christ, well, I know he's a Christian because look how he honors all of those people he, he's with. They'll know that we are Christians by our love. But why, but why do we not honor? Okay, so here, here's our question today. Why don't we honor? If that's the case, if we're supposed to walk in love, if that's supposed to be our nature, if that's what God's calling us to, well, why aren't we? You know, there's this little thing called pride that we have to deal with. It's this problem of pride. And I was thinking about that, and, and, uh, and I thought about it, and like, you know, the very first recorded sin that the Scripture reveals to us, you know, it could have been something else, but what we're told it was before Adam and Eve is when Lucifer fell. And it said that he was a glorious cherub of whatever that was. He was anointed, uh, some things with coverings and music, whatever. And he said one day, I'm going to exalt myself above God. And I am going to sit on the throne. Wow. So 
he held himself in greater honor with that pride than God. He didn't honor the Lord. He didn't hold that. He brought himself up there. He exalted himself, and he was cast out, and the whole thing fell. And then something happened with the fall of humanity to where I don't, that was transferred onto us so that we literally live in pride every day of our lives in so many different ways. It's like we think better of ourselves than we really are. We, we think that people are beneath us in so many different ways, and we're going to talk about that today. So the Bible talks about the least of these. So the least of these, in our minds, could be so many different things, right? But let's just define least really quickly so we know what we're talking about. So the least, according to the New Testament definitions, are smallest. It could be in size, smallest in amount, smallest in importance, the smallest in authority, the smallest in the estimation of men, or the smallest in rank or excellence. So all those different things combined is what, when the Bible's talking about the least of these things, it's the smallest thing. It's the most minuscule or diminutive. It's something that is below everything else in whatever category. So that's what we're talking about. So let's, let's compare that to honor. So honor is holding something as the highest, as the best, the greatest, compared to the least, which is the lowest, the worst. And somehow, we got to get these two things to come up to the same level. Yeah. But they're the exact opposite. But Jesus honored the least of these things somehow. Boom, you know? It's impossible in our thinking because we see everything as the least. But who are the least of us? Let's, let's have a quick conversation here. Who are the least of us? Culturally. You know, Pastor Homeless, okay? Pastor talked about this last week in our in generationally. So our ge- different generations might see the least of these things as different. You know, like baby boomers might, like, have resentment or something towards hippies or something. You know, they, to them, they, like, those were the least, you know, or homeless people. Or drug addicts, or you know, prisoners, gangbangers, whatever. You know, when I was growing up, it was the hoods. You know, we called them hoods. Now, kids, I don't know what they call them like stoners, burnouts. I have no idea. You know, you know, people who did drugs or they, they smoked cigarettes like out, you know, in front of the school. In my mind, that was like they're the worst of the worst. Like I don't ever want to be around that kid. You know, that in my mind, it was the least. Or maybe it's like inner city folks. Uh, in your mind, maybe it's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's about as bad as it can get. Or maybe it's sick people. Maybe you're like disgusted by people who have any type of infirmity. In your mind, it's like, yeah, yeah, they're the least to you. Or maybe it's an econ- economic value, you know, like keeping up with the Joneses. Maybe you're like, well, I've got to have this financial status. And anyone below here, it's like the least, you know. You just write them off because they don't have as much money or enough toys or whatever it is. You see how our attitudes towards people are actually defining them as the least? Maybe it's giftings. Have you ever met a guy who's been like really great at something? Like he's, he's like the best and he has no patience for anybody else who's not on that level. I know guys like that. You know, it's not very fun being around guys like that, even though they're the best. 
You know, they should be the ones helping others up because they forgot where they came from when they weren't the best, you know, or employers. You know, think about this. Employers are an owner of a business. They only are there because they have a bunch of people working for them who are working hard every day. And how many times are, are the workers taken advantage of when, when the workers are the business, you know? The leadership, yeah, is, is the ownership and everything, but it's the people with the boots on the ground that are actually making the thing happen every day. But how many times are employees not appreciated? Or they're just cast aside, thrown away? Or maybe it's children. I know people who, could, who couldn't even care about children. They wish they weren't even around. You know? It's sad. To me, children are the best thing in the whole world. I tell you, I just kids to me are the best thing in the whole world. But maybe not to you. I don't know. Maybe they're the least to you. So either way, you have to define who are the least of these because it's different for each and every one of us. But Jesus honored the least of these. So how did Jesus interact with the least? That's what we're going to talk about for a few moments. How do you, so let's think about this. You know, we're, in our mind's eye, we've got a definition of who these least people are. But somehow Jesus interacted with these people. Yeah. Let's just go over a few things. First, he spoke to them. He acknowledged them. He engaged the people. Think about uh, the, the story of the, um, the Samar- Good Samaritan. When the guy was like broken down on the road and just, you know, completely beaten up by the robbers. And the priest walked by, you know, the minister walked by. They wouldn't even look at the guy. They wouldn't even speak to the guy. But the Samaritan guy, who was supposed to be like his enemy in a sense, he took care of the guy. Jesus spoke to people as he went. He acknowledged them. He took time to address them. That's super important. I'll give you my own little example. So I'm an introverted person, and it's easy for me to become uh, very self-focused and internalized in the way that I think about things. And uh, sometimes it's a really good thing because I can concentrate on a problem for a long time without and, and ignore distractions around me, you know? Sometimes it's bad also because it takes me a long, a long time to process things, you know, so I don't have a quick reaction a lot of times. So sometimes if you're talking to me and it's like, you know, and I don't say much, it's because I'm listening and trying to process, you know. So, you know. But anyway, so sometimes it's, it's also hard for me to uh, acknowledge people. So, for example, if I'm like focused on the back there and maybe I'm on a mission or I'm thinking about something, like I won't see all of this around me. I won't have any peripheral vision. I'm just, I'm right here. I like have blinders on. Well, to people that's like, man, that guy doesn't even like me. Like, he won't even look at me. He won't speak to me or anything. Well, the Lord's really been working on me for that. So the past couple of years, like, he put me in a new job where literally all day long I have to address people and focus on people and all different sorts of people. So he's really been training me. Uh, to look at people. Yeah, I see you, and I acknowledge you, and I'm conversing with you, I'm speaking with you, because you're important. And so in my business, what I do is I go around, uh, I'm a sales guy, 
and I represent different products. And so I used to be in another position where I was kind of lesser than what I'm doing now. And guys who are in my position now would always come in. And some of those guys, they would ignore me and they'd go to the higher ups, you know. And I'd always be like, man, this guy, he doesn't give me the time of day. And I'd always, I kind of like remember that. So whenever it came time for me to sell that guy's product, I'd be like, well, I'll sell a different product than this guy because he never acknowledged me, you know. So he didn't realize what he was doing by overlooking me. He was actually losing business because he didn't acknowledge the guy who was actually going to sell his stuff. So anyways, now I'm in that position where I'm going around. And so I make it a, I make it a point to acknowledge the lowest guy in the company, whether it's a truck driver or a warehouse guy or a counter guy or gal or an inside salesperson or whoever, I acknowledge them all. I'll, I'll talk to them all because they're important. They're the ones actually making the job work. And who knows, long-term, I've seen it where five years, ten years down the road, that guy might be the owner or the manager. And so by taking care of people, you know, on a business sense, long term, it will benefit you. Good word. But Jesus spoke to people. Wisdom. Jesus also ate with people. Amen. We, we always hear about Jesus eating with people, don't we? He, he's always at dinner. He's reclined at the table. You know, he's going to people's houses for dinner and stuff like that. And, and it always wasn't the best person. It wasn't like the Pharisees or anything necessarily. It was the least of the people. Yeah. Like even uh, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he was least because he had the worst reputation, and he was least because he was the shortest guy of them all. And he had to climb up in a tree. And one day Jesus just walking by, and he like, bam, looks up there, you, dude, Zacchaeus. And you guys like, huh, me? I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus had to jump down out of that tree, go run home, and get the house in order, you know, because the Lord was coming over. Boy, you know, I always wondered, like, did he, did he, you know, have to sweep up the house or prepare the food or what, you know? But Jesus chose him, you know, and he got a group of people together. Not only that, but Jesus also opened up his own home. It was either Jesus' home or Peter's home or someone's home in Capernaum where they live. And it always says they went into the house. He went to his house. In fact... One night, he was having a healing service in his house. It was so crowded. This was either in Jesus' house or Peter's house. That the, the guys with the lame guy on the, on the stretcher, they couldn't get in. So they tore the roof off of his house. He did. He, never one thing was mentioned about like who was going to pay for that roof. <laughs> you know? Jesus ministered to the least of these. So he ate with them. He also embraced them. He had physical touch with the least of these. That's so important too. Acknowledging people, dining with people, but embracing people. Jesus embraced the untouchables of society, the homeless, the diseased. He touched a leper who was literally, you know, had, and it, this guy probably didn't hardly have a face. Maybe he was missing limbs. His, disease, his skin was so diseased. I mean, if we saw that today, we wouldn't go anywhere near that. He touched him, and he healed him. He, he embraced children. When everyone else was trying to keep the kids away, 
Jesus was up preaching and a little child ran up. What did he do? He just swooped him up in his arms and kept going. He said, let the little children come to me. He embraced people. And he loved people. He held them in honor. Remember, love and honor are the same thing. So when Jesus was on his way and he was ministering and he was going somewhere and somebody ran in with a need, he shut the whole thing down and stopped. Wasn't in a hurry at all. And he met their need. He gave that person honor. He held up the whole caravan. You know, everybody's like crashing into each other as he stopped. And he turned to the blind man or to the leper or the lame or the blind or the lady. He loved them. He honored the least of these. And ultimately, he saved them. We think of salvation as just being born again many times, but the, the Greek words in the New Testament for salvation is just being rescued from anything, rescued from sickness, rescued from demonic oppression, rescued from poverty, rescued from eternal damnation. That's all salvation. And Jesus met their needs by offering that salvation. So how did, what was Jesus' attitude? How did he do that? Okay, we're talking about that. Well, how do we get there? Okay, let's read uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I encourage you to read the, that whole chapter 2 because it talks a lot about this. But Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And isn't that what we prayed today? That we would be emptied of, who, uh, of all of the sin and the weight and our preconceived notions and, our, and our, even our hopes and our dreams and be placed at the foot of the Lord. And to be obedient even unto death. But because Jesus did that in himself, what happened? He was exalted above every name. Above everything that can be named. Isn't that what God wants to do with us? As we humble ourselves, he wants to exalt us. Yes. Instead of us exalting ourselves and then becoming humbled. I think of Mother Teresa, the great Catholic nun who lived in Calcutta, India, and devoted her whole life to ministering to the least of these. Those in, I don't know if you know about India, but there's, there's many different like, caste levels in society. And she, she lived with the untouchables. And she battled every day of her life to minister to them and to bring life and hope to them. 
And one day I, I read that she was walking down the street and on the, in the sides of the road there's like almost like open sewers. And a little child was cast away into the sewer, a, a newborn baby. And rats had gnawed off its hands and its feet, and it was lying there dying, but still alive. And Mother Teresa swooped that baby up and ministered to that baby and prayed. She saw value in that life that everyone else threw in the trash. And no one else around could be bothered to hold that child in their arms. But she did. She saw value in praying and ushering that child into glory, even if it was just but a few moments. And she lived her life like that. That's a good example. You know, we think that the anointing has to be something to where we, we have to be isolated from people. I've been to many churches in, in my life and known many pastors, and the theory was to be anointed, you couldn't have contact with the congregation. You had to have, like, guards around you. You had to have security up here, you know. Keep everybody away. To not touch the anointing. You know, like the guy would have to be isolated in that drum booth. And then when the second, when the anointing happens, he runs out, prays, and then gets out of there so that you don't have any contact again. But I don't see that with Jesus. You know when Jesus got that and was isolated? In the middle of the night when no one was around. Or super early in the morning when everyone's asleep. That's when he had his time of refreshment and prayer. And all the rest was right out here with everyone else. And somehow, some way, having contact with people, the anointing manifested. And somehow, with little children running around screaming, people got healed and saved and delivered. You know, somehow. So, you know, don't, let me, don't get me started on that. <laughs> You're started. Yeah. It's good. It's good. We have to honor each other. In fact, I'll give you one more story. This just happened this week. There's a pastor. If if I said his name, many people in here know him personally. Okay. And a good friend of mine and his son were with this pastor in a boiler room. A boiler room. Looking at a boiler. Little did the pastor know that this son, struggling, you know, with, with the things of the Lord, struggling with different problems, said in his heart, God, if you're real, you'll speak to this pastor. Wouldn't you know? This is a truth. This just happened the other day. This pastor, in the middle of this conversation, looks at this boy or this young man and says, You need to hear something from God, don't you? And read his mail. I'm getting chills on the back of my head just thinking about it. Read his mail and then turned to the dad and spoke this, this, and the other of the word of the Lord. Never had met before this day. Didn't even know who each other were. 
in a boiler room. A boiler room. Wow. And then, wow, and then afterwards, the father and son had such a time of prayer in their, in their truck and uh, just, you know, really opened up about many things. That's the anointing of God. So the last thing is Jesus didn't just minister in his own strength as we just read in Philippians. Jesus emptied himself of everything, of all his uh, the authority that he had, of all the glory that he had when he was with the Father. And he just he came and became a man, just like me and you. And I, there's some study that I would have to do about this, but I would argue that Jesus, before he was baptized, would be on par positionally in, in the eyes of God as a born-again Christian. But then something happened. Now, there's more study. You know, that's just a blanket statement, okay? But positionally, ministry-wise, and how Jesus ministered, something had to happen when he was baptized by John the Baptist. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord descended and came upon him, and he grew in power of the Spirit. Then after the 40 days, he came out. Something happened to him. To, to empower him to go be a witness, to go minister, and to go affect the least of these. So let's read about that. So he, Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is when Jesus came out of the wilderness, empowered. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He stood up because that was his custom. They're like, okay, Brother Jesus is back. Yeah, he wants to take a turn reading the scriptures. Okay. I don't know if he asked for the, God, you know, the book of Isaiah or randomly, you know, coincidentally, was just handed to him, but he opens the scroll. He looks down, finds chapter 61. Okay. And he's about ready to read. And this is what he said, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he shut it, and he sat down, and everyone was like, what? And he said, this day is that scripture fulfilled in your ears. But what was Jesus saying? He said, I'm empowered by God. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach and to set at liberty and to heal, and to deliver, to go to the very people who you think are the least, are worthless. I'm going to go and change their lives because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And you can hear the same thing described in Acts chapter 10. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The power of the Holy Spirit. That's a good argument for the baptism of the Holy Spirit being a separate encounter than being born again. That, that's pretty, that seals it for me in just with those two scriptures. But why would you want to do it? So now you're in a place where saying, okay, I see that I've wrongly classified people as least. And I'm giving that to the Lord today. Now let's take the next step. Let's receive his empowerment. 
Why would we want to do this without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Let's let God move like we heard this morning here. God is trying to do something in our lives. He's calling us to do it. There's another scripture in Hebrews 13. It says, Jesus Christ was the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus was anointed to do something, he's anointed yesterday. He's anointed today to do the same thing. And he's always going to be that way. Except for he's not physically here anymore. Who's here? Who's the body of Christ? Us. Who's he going to speak through? Who's he going to minister through? Who's he going to heal through? Who's he going to preach through? Us. And there's another scripture that says, if we don't go do it, it's not going to get done. How are they going to hear? How are they going to receive if we don't go and speak and do? Don't you hear God calling you to get up and go today? So receive the Spirit. Receive it. It's for you today. Jesus also said, and I'll, I'll close with this. If you being good parents, even though you're evil in the sense because, you know, you're, we're human, know how to give good gifts to your kids. Is that a true statement? Yeah? Don't you love to bless your kids? I mean, Christmas morning is my favorite day of the year. I love to bless and to pile on. I mean, it's, and then, I, you know, we have mounds of stuff at the end, and I'm just like, is that it, you know? Because I love to give good gifts. And if me being a fallen as filthy rags, you know, compared to the Lord Jesus, if we know how to do it, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? He's not going to withhold from one person. What about this argument? So I'm going a little bit, a little tangent here, but have you ever heard, this just came to me, what if I get a different spirit? If I ask for this spirit, what if I get a different, what if I get something bad if I ask for, for this? I've heard people preach that, you know, that the Holy Spirit is actually of the devil. I mean, my goodness, it's just contrary to all Scripture. But he said in that same Scripture, if your child asks you for a fish, will you give him a snake? Good word. We don't. So how would God let a different spirit come upon you if you ask for the Holy Spirit? It can't happen. Come on, brother. It can't happen. So ask today. We're going to pray just a moment here. That the Spirit of the Lord would come upon you. That He would anoint you to proclaim the good news to the poor. That he would send you to proclaim liberty to the captives. That he would send you to proclaim the recovery of sight to the blind. That he would send you to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And that you would proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, that is our prayer with all of our heart. Father, we repent of pride. We repent of seeing people as beneath us. 
we repent of insisting on our own rights and trying to deny others. We repent of not seeing people and not embracing them and speaking to them for whatever reason, Lord, and you've revealed those to us today and confronted us. Father, we ask today that you would open our eyes, that we would see those around us, that we would speak to those around us, embrace those around us, and then, Father, would you baptize us and fill us with the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us today. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've never asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you've been afraid of that. But it's just the sweetness of the Lord. I know next week's Pentecost Sunday, but if that's you, come forward today and we'll pray with you. Or maybe you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Lord. But he's calling you today. He's meeting you here right now and saying, you are my son or my daughter. Let me be your Lord. Maybe that's you. Come forward. I will pray with you. We'll pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. What a great word. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning? Hallelujah. Super good word. Hallelujah. Just want to give you the time to respond this morning. Today, you're ready to begin a relationship with Jesus, and you haven't yet. Would you come to the altar? We'd love to pray with you. Today's the day of salvation. But today, if you're saying, you know what, I realize that in my life, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need a baptism in the Holy Spirit. We also want to come alongside you and pray that God would fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I don't have love for the least of these. In my heart, I realize that I have negative attitudes towards people that God loves, and I need to repent. I need to come before God and say, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew the right spirit within me. If that's you, would you come to the altar? We'd love to pray. Tell you what, I'm convicted. I'm convicted by this word. It's such a good word. And I come telling you that every day I seek, God, we need a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit. God, we need your Holy Spirit to revive us, awaken us, and give us the right way to see things and to see others. So if that's you, we'd love to pray with you. Amen. Let me just pray a blessing over you. The Lord loves you. Seek his face. Seek what he has for you. Choose not to be satisfied with worldly things. May his face shine on you. May he bring you peace. May he stir you to intercede. Awaken you to your calling. May you be used by the kingdom of God for his glory and for his honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The altars are open. We'd love to pray with you. Sure.